I heard uh, some years ago about a staff of a mental hospital. The staff of the mental hospital had a few different tests that they would take patients through to see if they're ready to be released. And one of those tests that they would do is they would plug up a sink, a mop sink, and they would turn the water on, and they'd let the water just flow, and the water would be overflowing, and they'd bring that patient in, and they would say, listen, the sink is overflowing, can you clean up the mess? And they would hand them a mop. And what they were watching for is to see if this person is really in reality that they would do the right thing, which they would look and go, oh, the sink is, is on. I better turn the sink off first, and then I better unplug the drain. And once I do that, the water will go down. Then I can mop it up. But if they handed them mop, and they noticed that the patient just started mopping and not starting with the root of the problem, being that the sink is on and it's plugged up, they knew this patient's not in their right mind. They're not really ready to be released yet. Because anybody would look at it and go, hey, the water's running. Let me turn off the water. Anyone who's in touch with reality would know that. You would know, I, I, I can't just start mopping. What I've been trying to do in this series over the last three weeks is it puts you in reality with spiritual warfare. That we would open our eyes, church, and that we would realize that there is a battle going around all of us all the time. My purpose is that you would not waste your time trying to mop up, mop up your circumstances. Too much time is spent in our lives trying to fix circumstances. Oh, the job is difficult. Oh, the marriage is difficult. Let me work on all these different issues that are going on around me and let me fix the circumstances when what we need to do is we need to get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem comes to the fact that we are in battle with an evil one. See, if you want to change the fruit, if you want to change the result, you want to change what's going on in life, then we must start with the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is that the evil one is roaming around looking for who he can kill, steal, and destroy. I, I, I want to help you just simply quit mopping up the overflow in our lives. That's been the goal. That's been my prayer, is that we would take this, this series to know, okay, I have life going on, I have challenges going on, things are taking place, but how can I take care of them? How can I handle that? Let's quickly refresh some main ideas of this series. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we've been hanging out for the last several weeks is Ephesians chapter 6, and just breaking down this text. Remember the text, Paul has written this letter to the church in Ephesus. And he tells them, basically, here's how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus has done for you. And then once you believe in Jesus, you become a follower of Jesus. Here's how you live for Jesus. And then he wraps up with, now, let me give you a warning. And one of these warnings is that we're in a battle. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes his plans, his scheming for our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Church, we are in a battle. And I don't want to dive into it too deeply because we've been hammering it for the last few weeks. But he says, listen, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. And so many times what happens? Well, my boss, I can't stand my boss. Oh, my friend did. Oh, my husband did. My wife did. Ah, my kids. And we start making the battle against one another. Paul says, stop. The evil one is stirring. He, he is roaming around. He is creating these struggles. And he is, he is at war with us. And so we are in a battle. And then he says, you must prepare for that battle. Look at verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. 
He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What's he telling us? Listen, you're in a battle. It's real. Get prepared. He says, you believe in Jesus. You, you want to walk in Jesus. You want to have the life that comes in Jesus. But there's this evil one who's going to try to destroy you, who's going to do battle. So God has not left us unequipped. He says, listen, you now have, have tools that you can put on, be it a breastplate, be it a, a belt of truth, be it feet that is fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel peace. He says, you got to get prepared for this battle. And then we've also learned that when we resist the enemy, he flees from us. Look at verse 16. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And when we resist with these tools, these items, this battle gear, what happens is then evil one will flee. See, the weapons of our warfare we've been talking about over the previous weeks aren't going to do us a lot of good if we don't know how to put them into action. I think too many believers come into worship going to Bible study, going to whatever it may be, and, and, and we really never put the action of God into our lives. We, we hear it, oh, it sounds good, but we still roam around just like this world does with the same struggles of this world because we don't take seriously these, these tools, these armor gear that we have. P- people like this, I got to tell you, church, they're no threat to Satan. When, when churches, well, I go to church, you know, I, go, I hit it here, I hit it there, I go in, I sing some songs, I hear a sermon, it's good, it, it makes me feel good for a little while, but I go home. And if we don't put into action, and we don't put these weapons in action, then Satan looks at us and goes, well, they're useless. Why would I even bother them? He loves it when we live in lukewarmness. That's why in Scripture, in Revelation, we're told, be hot or cold, don't, don't live in lukewarmness. Because lukewarmness, Scripture says, God says, I want to spit you out of my mouth because he knows when we're lukewarm, we're totally ineffective. Over the last two weeks, three weeks, we've been studying this believer's armor. Six, piece, six pieces of offensive and defensive weapons that God has equipped us with. But Paul doesn't stop there writing because the very next verse, he gives us the secret to using this great authority that God has made to us. Look at verse 18. He says, and pray. What does he say? Are you with me? He says, and what? And pray. So he says, listen, you put on the belt of truth. You put on the breastplate of rights. You put on the helmet of salvation. You have feet that are fitted for the gospel of peace. And he says, and pray. Almost like if you don't do this part, all the others is useless. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. See, Paul is telling Christians, if you want to win the battle, the key is a deep, intimate prayer life with God. You want to win the battle, it's got to be engaged in prayer with God. It is prayer that gains us access to the authority we need for the victories in spiritual warfare. Retired and past preacher Ian Bounds says, Prayer is the great universal force to advance God's cause. Not to praise the denial of God, a denial of his existence, a denial of his nature, and a denial of his purpose toward mankind. In other words, what Ian Bounds was saying is if you don't pray, you're basically saying, I don't really believe in God. 
Praying men and women are the only men and women in which the Holy Spirit dwells. For the Holy Spirit and prayer go hand in hand. The Holy Spirit never descends upon a prayerless people. He never fills them. He never empowers them. There is nothing whatever in common between the Spirit of God and men and women who do not pray. The Spirit dwells only in a prayer atmosphere. I believe what Ian Bounds has said is so true, and I think that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. King David said, But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. King David knew, I'm leading all these people, but what am I going to do? I'm going to start what? In the morning with prayer. Nehemiah spent three months in prayer before presenting his plan of rebuilding the walls to King Artaxerxes. Three months praying and putting the plan together and say, here's how we're going to rebuild. Jesus took off to the mountains for times of prayer. He got away where it was quiet, where he could stop and what? Listen to the Father God and say, Father, what's next? What's the plan? The Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing, that we pray continually. Unfortunately, though, prayer becomes the missing ingredient in the lives of most Christians. Many times prayer is is treated as not really necessary. It's treated as optional. Prayer is sometimes preached about, but how often is it really practiced? It's an afterthought more than a forethought. It's done irregularly then intentionally. Let, let me just stop and ask you for a second. Think back over the last just week of your life, the last seven days. What, what, what and how have you been praying with, with God lately? What's it been like? Has it been, well, we, we have prayer at our mealtime. Well, I, I kind of had some struggles this week, and I cried out to God, God, help me out. Was it very purposeful? Like, you know what? I got up in the morning, and I'm finding that before I check my social media, and before I turn on TV, God and I are talking. Before I turn on the email, I, I, God and I got up, and we had some good time talking. Is it, you know what? During the day, I'm, I'm taking some time. I get a break here. I get a lunch break here, and, and, I, and I spend some time with God. God and I spend some time talking. Or is it just kind of whenever you can slide it in? Or, oh, I forgot. Or you look back this week and go, prayer, it's been very limited in my life. Martin Luther said, work, work from morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer. If you read further about Martin Luther's life, that meant he was up at 3 a.m. Can you imagine getting up at 3 a.m.? So I'm going to start my day with prayer. Or 4 a.m. because I've got to be out the door by 7. Or backing up whenever you got to get, whenever the kids start waking up. Say, I've got to beat the kids out of bed because I need to pray to be a good mom or a good dad. I need to pray before I go to work. See, if we're honest, prayer remains many times a missing ingredient in our lives. Imagine if we baked a cake without any flour. Or imagine having some chocolate without any sugar. Or imagine going down to the ice cream store and saying, hey, I want some ice cream, and they left the milk out. None of us would want that. We'd be like, forget that cake. It's collapsed. Or you'd taste that chocolate and go, it's bland. Or you'd say, where's the, where's the ice cream? Because you're not going to have ice cream without milk. But what we won't stomach, we wouldn't stomach any of that kind of stuff. But what Paul is trying to say in the church is, listen, are you going to stomach a prayerless life? Because that's what we do. It's just like trying to bake something. It's trying to put something together good, but then pull out the power ingredients. Pastor and writer Chip Ingram summarizes this passage by saying, the means by which believers are to withstand and overcome the attack of the enemy in spiritual warfare is by consistent, intense, strategic prayer for one another in conjunction with the personal application of the armor of God. 
I believe he has a good summary of that. See, Paul here is talking about two kinds of prayers in this passage. He's talking about intercessory prayer, which means I go to bat for somebody else. I go to God on behalf of somebody else. I go talk to God about somebody else's situation. And he's talking about powerful prayer. And so intercessory prayer is our most powerful and strategic weapon in spiritual warfare. Intercessory prayer, it means that I'm interested on somebody else's behalf to go to God and say, God, I got to talk to you about my friend and some things that are going on. And God, I'm begging of you to help. I'm praying for their victory in a spiritual battle. We know that prayer has a direct impact. And so I'm going to go pray for my friend's marriage. I'm going to go pray for the situation that they're in. Once Jesus' disciples ran into a demon-possessed boy, and they could not heal him. And the boy's father pleaded with Jesus, Jesus, you've got to help. Jesus, you've got to take care of my son. And Jesus delivered the boy from the demonic presence in his life. And later on, Jesus is talking to his disciples. His disciples are like, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we get that boy healed? Why couldn't we get the demon out of him? And look what Jesus says. He says that kind of spirit can only be forced out by prayer. You realize you have some people in your life that maybe they're not going to have victory until you do some forcing out, forcing out demonic ways, Satan's way by praying for them. You see, prior to Jesus predicting that Simon Peter would deny him three times, he had this to say to Simon. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to have all of you to sift you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer For you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. Even Jesus is praying for a friend. Who is he going to? He's going to his father, God. God, don't let Satan win this battle. Protect Simon, my friend. The fact is that God's power falls where prayer prevails. You begin walking through the book of Acts where we start seeing how the early church began. We see how it all started. Every move of God was covered and happened because of prayer. Let's just consider a few. Acts 1.14, Jesus is gone. People are waiting for their instructions. What are they doing? They're praying. And Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, some 3,000 people come to give their life to Christ. What are they doing? They're praying. And Acts chapter 3, before the first major miracle in the church, Peter and John were what? They were on their way, on their way to a prayer meeting. And Acts chapter 4, the very first time persecution happens, they're beaten and they're flogged. And they came back. They're pumped up about it. They come back to the other Christians. And what happens? They were praying, and that's when the room was shook. Because the Spirit of God was moving in the prayer meeting. In Acts chapter 6, it's the first kind of dissension in the church. You know they had problems in the early church. They had struggles in the early church. And the leaders of the church at that time said, man, we can't get tied up in all those daily ins and outs of what's going on in the church. So they pointed some people to go take care of it, and they said, we're going to stay to pray, and that's our job, to pray. In Acts chapter 8, more persecution is taking place. What are they doing? They're praying. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter was having a problem with racism, looking down on Gentiles, he, what was he doing when his mind was changed? He was praying. Church, I think challenges we see within our society from racism to sexism to, to financial issues to political issues, they can be changed in us, in our culture, when we start really getting ser- serious about praying. See, the New Testament church, we find 
And Scripture is replete with examples of prayer. Praying with, praying for, praying around, praying up, praying down. Every avenue possible. The church was a praying people. I wonder if I said, hey, later today we're having a prayer meeting. We're meeting today at 6 o'clock. You said, well, there's no announcement about that. I need to know for three weeks. We can put that on my calendar. I wonder if we would carve that out and say, you know what? Whatever else I have planned tonight is not so important. We've got to be at the prayer meeting. Would we, would we show up? Will we be here? Will we say, you know what? I'm going to make sure praying is part of me. See, intercessory prayer is our most powerful and strategic weapon, but powerful prayer brings deliverance and amidst a spiritual attack. See, one of the first things a commander tries to do in warfare is they try to establish air superiority. Because whoever establishes the battle in the air and wins the battle in the air usually then wins the war. And if you establish that, then that's what's going to happen. You can win the war. If you establish air superiority, you'll suffer a few casualties on the ground. One of our problems in the church is suffering a lot of casualties on the ground because we haven't established superiority in the air, so to speak. The heavenly realms where warfare, spiritual warfare is taking place. There's, there's one big difference between earthly army and the church. An earthly army has to go out and win the war, but in the church, the war in the air has already been won. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The problem is, church, are we tapping into that source of power? There's a big difference. Jesus has already won at spiritual warfare. He's already established air superiority for us. We just have to lean upon, tap into him. Our task is to take that superiority we have and use it to win spiritual battles. To win battles in our lives, in our friends' lives. That's important because it's impossible to lose a battle when we have air superiority. When you get the weapons, you have kind of full advantage by winning in the air. So what kind of prayer do we need to experience to have deliverance of power? Look at verse 18 again. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. I see in that a consistent prayer. He says all occasions, all kinds of prayer requests, that prayer isn't some kind of occasional hobby for the Christ follower. He says, listen, you got to pray continually. You pray all the time on all occasions. That prayer is our lifeblood. That is our duty. And it's what's normal for us, not abnormal. I was talking to a few of our prayer team members after church, and I said, I look forward to the day, basically, when it becomes so normal for us that I'll pray for somebody else. I'll rely upon somebody else to pray for me. See, we shouldn't just pray sometimes. We should pray at all times. We don't pray just on special occasions or when things are going bad. We pray on all occasions. We don't pray in our power. We pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. A church is going to change dramatically as we change in the avenue of prayer. The fact is we either pray for our friends in Christ who are under attack or we tell them basically by not praying for them, I don't care about you. So we got to pray consistently. Prayer is the atmosphere where the church fights, and it is the way we stay vital and daily conduct our lives with our commander. In other words, the way we activate and use the armor we've been talking about is by consistently approaching our spiritual commander and chief in prayer. 
And that's when it gets consistent. Look at verse 18 again. I want you to see this verse. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. I see Paul saying, listen, this needs to be an intense prayer. When he says, be alert and always keep on praying. One of the problems we have is the devil's already taken back a lot of territory from some of us believers. He's taken back the territory of peace for many of us. I would say that's one of the biggest things I see as your pastor, as I talk individually, is a lot of people are lacking peace. And we lack peace when we're lacking in prayer. Because we know we're told in Scripture that when we pray, that's when peace comes. For mother, he's taking back the territory of our homes or our families or our marriages or our businesses. We need to be back in prayer. From still others, the devil's taking back the authoritative position that we have in God. Do you know we have authority in God and our prayers are so much stronger and so much more powerful when we pray in the authority of Jesus and we pray with that, that mindset? See, Satan always looking to take back territory. He's always saying, how can I draw Christians away from God? How can I get them back to go back to the old way of living? So if we're going to stand firm, we must know how to put on the armor and how to use it. And that authority is activated in prayer. It's the kind of prayers Paul has in mind here. It's intense and it's fervent and it's knowledgeable. It's, it's prayer that enables us to reach into the heaven and make withdrawals in our spiritual account. We're not praying as we fall asleep at night. That's not bad to do that. Lord, I'm going to bed. If you had a day full of prayer, then when you wake up, you hit the ground running. You're like, Lord, I got to start my day in prayer. Lord, as I go through my day, I'm going to be talking to you in prayer. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you in the afternoon and in the evening and, and before I go to bed. Then, hey, God, I'm getting kind of tired. We've been talking all day long. It's been a great day. I'll see you in the morning and go to bed praying. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be intense. Look at verse 18 one more time. Praying the Spirit on what? All occasions. All kinds of prayers. So you see consistency, you see intensity. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for what all the Lord's people. I see strategic prayer in that. There's a strategy. Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. He's talking about praying for one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not just praying to pray. We're praying very specific for people and very specific situations. If I know that you're tempted in a certain area, then I'm praying. I'm going to go to the Lord and I'm going to pray for deliverance in that area. I'm going to go to the Lord and say, Lord, my friend is dealing with, I'm not going to go to people and say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Man, they're involved with da-da-da-da. No, I'm going to go to the Lord. Lord, my friend is struggling with, and I'm praying that you would deliver them from that. If, if you're in church leadership position, then I'm going to pray for you to withstand the enemy's attacks because the enemy's going to come, and you know, you know what? All these small group leaders are opening their homes. You, you need to be praying for the small group leaders because I guarantee Satan comes after them differently. You need to be praying for your elders and praying for your preacher and praying for those who are leading our next step team. Be praying, God, would you protect them? Because when you're in a battle, who does the enemy come after? He wants to come after leadership because if I can get leadership to stop or leadership to get discouraged or leadership to give up, he knows, listen, I can affect the whole congregation. I can affect the whole army, and we need to be praying like that. It means that I'm not going to pray just about me-isms. It's okay, Lord, I want to have a good day today. Lord, hey, give me, a, give me a parking spot up front. Can you do that? I, I think you can ask those kind of prayers. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's not just talking about, hey, have a good day, or help me make a sale today, or help my wife listen to me today, or help my kids. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about very strategic prayer, things that involve like, God, my friend does not know you. Would you break their heart? You know, there are some people who will never hear from you. It has to be totally 
God breaking their heart and, and moving in their lives. And it won't happen until we pray for them. He's talking about being very specific. Like, God, I am struggling with this sin. or I'm struggling with these doubts. I'm struggling with these things. Lord, I need peace. Lord, I need joy. Lord, I need confidence. Lord, I have these struggles that I keep tripping up on. And I'm going to get really specific and pray very specifically for you. Or, or God, I know our leaders are trying to do some, some things in our church. Our, our leaders are trying to lead us in a direction in our church. God, would you give them wisdom? God, would you protect them? Speaking of that, I ask you to pray for the next step team and the elders. You know, Centerpoint's turning 15 years old this November. We started early in this year talking about us going into the community, going into our neighborhoods, and how do we reach people in this area. And we went through and looked at the life of Jesus. And I told you the next step team has been meeting. We've had our dream session. They've been meeting this summer. They're getting ready. We're getting ready to turn the corner here in September. We're going to start laying out some stuff for you where we're heading. But we need your prayers, but we also need your help need your help starting today, and I'm going to ask you to pray about this. This afternoon, you should receive a text message. If you don't get it, then you know they must not have my number. You're going to receive an email inviting you to participate in a congregational survey. This is survey number one of two, okay? But what we want to do is we want to look at our congregation and say, okay, what does our congregation look like? And we have stats already from census surveys about our community, and we're looking at, okay, what does our community look like? And then we're creating ministries that help us go right into our community. But in order to do that, we have to have some baseline data, so to speak, so we can measure up down the road and go, hey, how are these ministries working? Are we reaching into our community? And here's what's going to happen. Some of you are going to get that and go, why are they doing a survey? Why do they have to know this kind of information? How good? What, what, what's this purpose? Can you trust your leaders that we're going to do that with wisdom? That's anonymous survey, so we're not asking you to put your name on there and your email on there. But we need to gather information so we say, what do we look like at a church as a church at, at age 15 years old now? What do we look like? What's our community look like? Now, we're not doing anything that Satan doesn't do. Scripture tells us Satan does what? He has schemes. Those are plans. He's thinking very strategically, how can I destroy you? How can I destroy your home? How can I make that church be ineffective? What can I do? And so we would be wise on the other side to say, well, you have plans and schemes. You know what? No, we're going to put together plans, and we're going to scheme how we're going to go in the areas of darkness to win the battle against you. And so this survey that's going to come out this afternoon, that's all it is. It's helping us put together plans, helping us put together schemes so that we can be most effective in going in and bringing light into darkness. And I encourage you to participate with us. You know, we have 15 acres of land sitting around here. We need to be praying and continually praying. God, what do you want done with this property? What do you, what do you want done? God, there are homes coming in all around us. We're still continually being surrounded. God, what do you want us to do to reach the people that you have us interacting with? Have you noticed what's going on down this end of Greendale Road? If you drive that direction, I don't know what direction that is, uh, there's a new construction entrance gone in. That construction entrance is for a new neighborhood going right next door to us. Now, some, in some conversations, with no names being named, not in this room. It's probably none of you guys in this room, I would guess. We see construction. You know what I hear? Oh, my goodness, more houses. Oh, more traffic. Oh, how are we going to handle this? Oh, the roads. And, and the complaining and the grumbling gets to going and gets really rolling. Church, let me encourage you. 
Don't grumble, complain about more houses. Look at that and say, praise God. Father, I got a question. How can we reach them? God, I am so thankful that you're building 400 more homes across the street. And God, I'm so thankful you're bringing 300 more homes across the street. God, I'm so thankful you put in 500 apartments right over here. And God, I'm so thankful you put in 450 apartments right back here. God, praise God that this place has a traffic problem around here. Praise God that our roads are messed up. Praise God that I get to stop at red lights. And at a red light, I can become a person of prayer. Do you know you can do that? Someone challenged me some years ago. They said, every time you stop at a red light, start praying, Lord, open my eyes to see the city the way you see the city. When someone's driving on your rear end and you're driving down Greendale Road and you're ready to slam on your brakes and are you ready to yell or cuss, God, okay, you're teaching me patience. I'm praying about that, Lord. But do you realize what an opportunity we have to start praying? Do you know, if you live right across the street here and you've moved into this neighborhood, and I know a few have, you see dirt starting to move because a new house is getting built. What an opportunity to pray for that neighbor. Lord, I don't know who that is moving in there, but Lord, would you use me to share the love of Jesus with them? What an opportunity is a new street gets plowed out. Start walking that street before even a house is put up, before even dirt is even moved. And you know, every single one of us can do that. Now, we may be in a neighborhood where you're like, they're kind of basically completed. Brian, I have all these streets and all these houses. Praise God. Start walking three or four streets and make it a regular walk in your life. You do that once a week or twice a week or three times a week, and you walk and say, Lord, these are all my neighbors. Help me to love them. Help me to see what's going on in their life. Lord, help me be aware. Lord, help me be a blessing. You never know who's going to come walking down the driveway. You never know what kind of conversation is going to take place. We've had some new neighbors move in a couple months ago, and at first we were seeing them a lot. All of a sudden they weren't around. We are like, what is going on? What an opportunity came the other day as I found out about my neighbor and his wife and the sickness she's dealing with and a conversation we got to have. And it was an open door and open touch. And I firmly believe it's because of being aware in prayer for a neighbor. We all can do that. See, Paul's urging us, church, to be people who will pray for others, to be people who will be consistent, who will be intense, who will be strategic. This is how we win the battle against Satan and his schemes. This is why we have people at the cross. Our prayer team, if you're in here, I believe they're in here. If not, would you, they're not available right now? They're praying. Okay, that's a good thing. So here in our communion time here, just a moment, we'll have a few extra people at the cross. And every week we've been doing this now. Where they're available to pray with you. That's why our prayer team is here. They're here to pray with you. They're here to celebrate with you. Or maybe you say, you know what? I need to talk to them a little more privately. And right out this door and you turn to the left, there's a new sign that's hung that says, pray here. That's where our prayer room is at, right on the other side of this wall where you can stop in and you can have someone pray with you and share, share in life with you and help you on that journey. Why? Because they want to pray intercessory for you, intercessory prayer. They want to go before the cross for you. They want to walk with you in that journey. That's what our prayer team, you say, well, I'd like to be part of that team. Use the connection card and say, hey, I'd like to become part of the prayer team. How do I get involved with that? Rex Hughes, our team leader, would be glad to engage with you there and help you get connected with our prayer team. Church, all of our ministry and everything we do must be, must be bathed in prayer, must be guided by prayer. That's, that's the direction we're heading more and more. As we look forward to the next however years, Centerpoint Christian Church, we look forward to the next three, four, five years past our 15th birthday, it's got to be a church that's committed to prayer. And so I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. I want to ask you to personally ask God a simple question. As we wrap up this series, I want us to ask God together, Father God, what's now and what's next? 